Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Last night was another night for the NBA. With the All-Star break approaching, dudes are emptying the tank, and it is awesome. There were so many amazing things last night in the association. Let me start with Marquise Chris dropping a sledgehammer on Jared Allen. It was awesome. Roll it. Chris sold it. Sales inside. He absolutely shook the leg. 105-103. Wow, he cocked that baby. Yeah, he did. I can't lie. I watched that about 100 times last night. I couldn't get enough. Like, Jarrett Allen has rejected more than his share of dunks, but he was not going to reject that one. Yeah, I'll get to that, too. The other Jared. Come on, Jared! He was not going to reject that one unless he wanted to lose an arm in the process. I mean, damn, that was fierce. That was fierce. But that was not... The nastiest highlight of the night in the association because there was also Kevin Knox doing this to Ben Simmons. Jordan Knox with the finish and the foul. What a pass from DeAndre Jordan. An excellent finish from the next rookie. That is so good. If you're watching on CBS Sports Network, DeAndre's reaction is priceless. In fact, I've not seen a dunk like that since DeAndre Jordan absolutely ruined Brandon Knight for life. Here comes Chris Paul. The lob. The jam! Oh, what a monster jam by DeAndre Jordan! Are you kidding me? That is something, folks. Tell me that won't be number one of the night on everybody's list. Welcome to Lob City, ladies and gentlemen. Good times, good days. Now, if you're watching on CBS Sports Network, did you see the setup for the Kevin Knox dunk? It was DeAndre. DeAndre, did you see his face afterwards? That was the return of the Brandon Knight stank face. On any other night now, that's your highlight of the night, maybe even your highlight of the year. But it wasn't even the best moment from Sixers Knicks from last night. Because, of course, that honor has to go to my man, Joel Embiid. Roll it. Mike Scott to J.J. Reddick. I got it, I got it. Embiid has it. Embiid throws and comes flying in. Embiid checking to make sure. Boy, he went. And it checks with our statistician, Dave Freed. Nice job from Joel Embiid. I'm glad to say that Dave Freed is still alive. I mean, he just came crashing into it. Our beloved statistician took as hard a hit as you can possibly have against one of the biggest players in the NBA. He's one of the biggest people in the entire world. If you're listening to that, it does not do it justice. If you're seeing the video of that on CBS Sports Network, or you've already seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, go find it. Joel Hans Embiid, if you need him. That's a seven-footer going into the stands for a loose ball like a Mortal Kombat character and absolutely wrecking the broadcast statistician. Fatality. Flawless victory. Fatality. Flawless victory. Fatality. Flawless victory. Fatality. Bobby, you should not be going over the scorer's table. Poor statistician Dave had absolutely no chance on that one. How do you avoid a seven-footer who's coming in hot? It's impossible. You just hang on, you watch your life flash right before your eyes, and you hope for the very best. And even better than a seven-footer leaping feet first into the stands and jumping over the scorer's table is that he managed to spare one of our national treasures, Academy Award nominee 
Regina King. Hey, look, this is a huge Joel Embiid house, but if anybody harms Regina King, we'll probably all have words. Fortunately, he did not. And as she tweeted afterwards, quote, yo, thank you, God, and Joel Embiid for your athletic abilities, crisis averted. That's right, crisis averted. As Embiid said, quote, it's good that I saved her life, I guess, but someone else had to, like, take that. I'm sorry about that. See, this is the mindset of Joel Embiid. He wasn't just looking to save the ball. He was looking to save the life of a famous actress. And look, if you have to take out a stats guy to save Regina, you'll do that 100 times out of 100 times. Sorry about that, stats guy. But he and Joel made up for it afterwards, which I will get to in a second. But I got to say, I'm still blown away by the entire thing. To recap, Joel Embiid went over an Oscar nominee, over a table, through a computer monitor, and into the chest of a statistician. I mean, seven-footers are not supposed to move and get up like that. It doesn't add up. It doesn't compute. Number two, that's a seven-footer doing that in a regular season game against a garbage Knicks team. When Philly was up by double digits, there is no off switch on my man Joel. He's not going to back down, ever. He admitted on the court after the game that he should not have done it, but there was no way that he was not going to do it. First of all, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, man, this is, this is a regular season game, man. I think at that point we were up by 15 or so. So that's my fault. Uh, and uh, maybe next time I do that, I shouldn't go. I shouldn't try to land with my feet first. Uh, but I'm so sorry. Thank, well, you gave him a nice hug at the end. Yeah. Joel, thank you so oh, thank much. You. I'm sorry. And Dave, before I let you go, you've got this man, one of the largest players in the entire NBA, coming at you feet first, no less. What are you thinking? Uh, as soon as he was coming, I said, oh, no. Uh, you knew it was going to happen. There was nothing I could do. And, you know, it hurt for a second. But as long as he, he made sure to miss Re- Regina King, which was pretty good on his part. But I'm okay. You've been. How about statistician Dave? My man is still rattled. He's still shaking. But then again, who wouldn't be? Normally, you do not survive a crash like that. He was so shaken, the guy was making references to Robert Pack. With respect to statistician Dave, Robert Pack was a guard. Pack went 6'2", 180. That's nothing like Joel. Joel goes 7 feet, 250. Somebody get this guy an MRI right away. I think he might be out on his feet or scarred for life because he's speaking gibberish. Then again, I was too, and I was 3,000 miles away. It's unreal. This is what makes Joel the most electric player in the league, maybe in all of sports. Yeah, I said it. You find me somebody who's more exciting in every aspect of life than Joel, because every night he's going to give you something you have never seen before or heard before. I'm not talking about one big man getting over a scorer's table. I'm talking about everything this guy says and everything this guy does, like the press conferences. For instance, this presser from the other night. I'm an idiot. Uh, Should have kicked it out or take it out or shoot it. Uh, I didn't think about the situation and us not having a timeout. I thought we had one, and then as soon as I shot it, I I looked, and I was like, I'm uh, I'm stupid. Like I said, that's on me. I need to do a better job. Thanks, guys. Do right for you. suck. (laughs) That's on me. I'm an idiot. I'm stupid. I need to do a better job. And oh, oh, by the way, the referees effing suck. Do I for you suck. 
That's how you end a presser. That's how you take a meaningless post-game media session and make it meaningful. I still can't believe he did that. Then there's his Twitter game, still unparalleled. This is the same guy who was running around Philadelphia in the offseason looking to play pickup ball and tennis against anybody he could find. He was dunking on dudes in a park and then talking junk to them. A guy who could give you a frank assessment as well of his own defense. But it starts on defense, you know. I thought I was uh, I thought we were all bad. And a man who took the high road when it came to his own love life. You were denied by a young woman who told you to come back when you were an all-star. Is there anything you'd like to say to anybody on TNT right now? I mean, you should deny me back then, so... Why go with her again? So um, I have to pass that and move on to the next one. You've got the mic. Anything you'd like to say? Um, trust the process. <laughs> Come on, Riri. Trust the process? This is a guy who took trust the process and turned it into a lifestyle brand and a nickname for himself. Trust the process? Oh, and I mentioned he's seven feet tall and murders people every single night on the floor. 27, 14, and two blocks. He is a shot-blocking, three-hitting, junk-talking, Oscar-nominee, actress-saving, Shirley Temple-guzzling, international icon. And when you're drawing up a list of guys who deliver every single time, in every single forum, on every single platform, that list better start and it better end with Joel, Hans, and Bede. Trust the freaking process. Trust the process. Thursday's Daily Jungle is brought to you by On Deck. Small business owners, listen up. Do you need help managing cash flow, hiring employees, purchasing inventory, or upgrading your office space? Getting access to capital is incredibly challenging and it's time consuming for small business owners. I've got your solution. On Deck. On Deck is 100% committed to small business owners with fast, easy, and tailored financing. You can get funding in as quickly as 24 hours with term loans up to $500,000, lines of credit up to $100,000, none of which require business collateral. On Deck is the secure financing service that business owners everywhere can truly rely on. If you're a small business owner and you need access to capital, go to ondeck.com slash Rome. That's ondeck.com slash Rome right now. As an exclusive listener to this podcast, you will receive a free consultation with one of their U.S.-based loan specialists. You can apply online or by phone and get approved in just minutes. Once again, go to ondeck.com slash Rome. That's O-N-D-E-C-K dot com slash Rome for a free consultation. Do that right now. We are joined by Jerry Tillery. Jerry, it's so good to have you on. How are you? I'm great, Jim. Thanks for having me. God, it's so good to talk to you, Jerry. So you're getting ready for the NFL draft. There's so many different things that I want to talk to you about, like the draft, like football, like travel, like life. But I want to start right here. There's this great story that your mom, Mildred, has a tradition of sending you a text which reads, it's a good day to be Jerry. Wake up and go make me proud. And to quote, I love it. It's so only start right there. How is it to be Jerry today? Is it a good day to be Jerry? Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> it's funny. My uh, yeah, my mom. She uh, but you know that's usually before games, and um, she uh, you know she sends me a, a message of support, which is nice. But uh, but yeah, today we uh, you know I'm here in Exos and uh, down in Phoenix, Arizona. We just finished our, our morning session. I'm uh, you know I'm feeling good, moving well. 
you know, getting a lot stronger. I'm in the best shape of my life. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be nice to get down to. Uh, get to uh, Indianapolis to uh, to compete. We're talking to Jerry Tillery, so you got me to my next point. It's, what's a normal day like? You're getting ready for the combine. You want to get down there. You want to compete. You've got the draft evaluation process going on. So what's a normal day like for you right now, and what's your approach as you prepare for the next few weeks and months? So it's it's six days a week we're training. We're training for, uh, you know, for all the skills and drills, you know, the competition we're going to, you know, be a part of. Um down in uh, in Indianapolis, and uh, it's it's strength, it's speed, it's uh, you know interviews. These are all things that we uh, that we prepare for you know on a daily basis for this uh, you know for the for the big day. It's a uh, so you know it's a job interview. It's a big you know it's a big deal for for all of us, and uh, it's what we've wanted you know our whole lives. So. You know, I'm especially excited to uh, to be a part of it. Jerry Tillery getting ready for the upcoming NFL draft. I mentioned you had an amazing year last year. You had a couple of sacks in the opener against Michigan, but then you had a game against Stanford where you had six tackles, four sacks, two quarterback hits, and a forced fumble. Like, when you're in the middle of a game like that and you're dominating everything, what does that feel like? Is the game like in slow motion, and can you see things before they happen? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you, you know, when everything's on, it's uh you know you feel great you feel like the you know the best player on the field you know you feel like everything you know everything is working for you and um and you know you're just balling that's 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 what we that's what we dream of on the defensive line you know games like that and uh <laughs> and the you know other games you know uh you know things you know everything's not working as well and you know you just got to get back to uh to you know what works for you and uh, no, but that uh, you know, those two games were were good for me, and those were uh, you know, those were when they, I was you know really on. You know, even more impressive when you consider what it was like two years ago. Notre Dame went four and eight, and that was a rough season for everybody involved. But you were a huge part of the reason that the program turned around and went twelve and zero in the regular season and had that spot in the college football playoff. As you look mm-hmm. back now, how much pride is there for you in knowing that you had a role, a big role in that turnaround? Oh yeah, I mean when I came to Notre Dame, uh we were, you know, we, we won 10 games, we played in the uh, FA Fiesta Bowl. That was that was a good season for us. And uh you know, the next year didn't go quite as well. We uh you know, we were 4 and 8 and you know, everyone nobody was happy around our program. And we knew some changes had to be made and so change we did and it, and uh I was a big part of that and we were able to, you know, right the ship and you know, get back to our winning ways and uh and that kind of culminated in, you know, a chance, you know, a chance to play in the college football playoff, which was, which was, which was a great experience. Now, this is the first time you and I have spoken, but your name came up on the show in the past when I talked to your former teammate Joe Schmidt a few years back about the fact that Sheldon Day used to call you Terry Gillery. The oh, footage, gosh. right? The photo, the footage of you and Sheldon on the Showtime show, a season when Notre Dame was amazing. But what did you make of the Terry Gillery nickname? Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> it was, uh, he, he loved it. Uh, everyone else at, you know, all the Notre Dame fans loved it, but was it, wasn't, it wasn't any good. I feel like it wasn't, it wasn't imaginative at all. He could have <laughs> done something much better. That's great. It was not imaginative at all. You know, and when you talk about imagination, your backstory is amazing. Some of the legends about you growing up in Louisiana are incredible. As an example, there's a story that when you were in middle school, you used to record C-SPAN and watch it after football practice. Is that true, Jerry? And if so, what did you like about C-SPAN? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm not uh, getting into this today, but yeah, that's something that... uh that that happened in middle school. You know, I was 
I was a different type of kid growing up, I guess. Uh, you know, that's things I was interested in. Uh, and so, so yeah, that's something that, that I, that I did do. And, um, uh, yeah, no, thanks for bringing that up. No, you're welcome. <laughs> Was that also not imaginative? Bro, I, you're not giving yourself enough credit. Like, I mean, we can go football, football, football. I'm happy to do that, but you were so different. That, that is an amazing story. And if you're happy that I brought that up, I have to follow up with this part of it because your mom said that she used to get emails from a member of Congress from Louisiana, and she could not figure out why that was. And then she realized that you were logging into her email and contacting the member of Congress and telling him how he should vote. Bro, tell me that's true. <laughs> Jerry, that's incredible. Tell me that story yeah. is true. Yeah, yeah, that's something that uh, that I did. I you know, wanted to be involved in you know, what was going on in our district. Yes. And, uh, yeah, that's something that, that did happen. And, uh, yeah, but, yeah, that, I mean, that's all I can really, you know, that's all I, I really know how to, to address that with. But, uh, but yeah, that's something that happened to me. Jerry, can I tell you, man, that, that, that's something that you, you should be proud of. I'm proud of you for that. That's something cool, Thank man. You, that's bro. something awesome. Uh, and, and did it work? Did that member of Congress take your advice and vote the right way? He did. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, you know, I, I I was in correspondence with him, and he understood how his constituents were feeling. And, you know, I feel like if you want to make any changes, you gotta get involved. And that I did, I guess. Hey, listen, in no way do I want to make this seem like that you're not all about football and getting ready for the combine. I know this to be true. We we can all look at the tape and know that you're all about football. It just seems to me you'd be hard pressed to find another college or another student athlete on any level, athlete or not, who got as much out of the college experience as you did. Here's a short list of countries where you studied abroad. South Africa, uh-huh. Ireland, Japan. You spent a spring break in Germany. Like, Jerry, you've done more in your college career than most people have done in their lives. What were those experiences like? Yeah, no, it was great. You know, coming to Notre Dame, I knew what, uh, you know, what opportunity, you know, I worked so hard, you know. Uh, playing football and uh, you know I, I gave it everything I, I, I have I had and um, it would be you know you'd be not, not very smart not to you know to take back from you know all the opportunities that are afforded at Notre Dame and uh, and you know you know after each football season you know we were uh, we had you know a certain amount of time off and Notre Dame afforded these opportunities and I, I took advantage as you know as you know more players are at Notre Dame are starting to do and um, and I think that's great. You know, it's great for our program. It's great for uh, great for the, the the players there. And uh, you know, that brings the team together when you're able to uh, you know do the you know go on these you know these cool you know uh, trips and like to, you know study abroad and you know finish your degree at Notre Dame. And um, that's what I was able to do. And I think that's you know something that that you know more guys are doing, and it's great. It's it's a good experience. All right, so you're doing the work right now. You've done that part of your college career. Well, that is your college career. Now you're doing the work. Have you allowed yourself to think about what it's going to feel like to hear your name called during the draft and to know where you're going to play and live and work? Yeah, no, I mean that's you know that's the next uh, you know that's the next stage in my life. You know, it's a big it's a big transition going from you know playing at Notre Dame at, at in, in college at my university to uh, you know doing this for a living. And you know, it's what I've always wanted to do. And it's something that, you know, everyone, you know, that it's something that I've, you know, been working for my whole life. And it's going to be, it's going to be surreal that, you know, that moment when I'm, uh, when I'm called, uh, you know, and I, and I finally have, you know, a destination where I'll be working, where I'll be living. And, um, you know, I'm, I'll, I'm excited to, uh, 
to to move on, you know, to have a new team, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. You're close. The draft is coming up in Nashville. It's April 25th through the 27th. He is a former Notre Dame defensive lineman and an All-American and coming off a great college career and projected to be a high draft pick. Jerry, great to have you on. I appreciate you sharing all your thoughts on all those things, football and non-football related. I know the draft's going to go well, and I'm looking forward to seeing where you end up. Thanks for coming on, Jerry. Thank you so much, Tim. Better parts, better prices, and a better freaking podcast. Thanks to my pals at O'Reilly Auto Parts. When it gets cold out there, your vehicle needs some extra attention. O'Reilly Auto Parts has everything you need to keep your vehicle toasty and warm. From choosing the right antifreeze for your engine to replacing your windshield wiper blades, O'Reilly will help you get your car or your truck in fighting shape for the cold weather ahead. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. Rex in Albuquerque. What's going on, Rex? Hey, Romy. Hope you're doing well. So it looks like Matt Kuchar has his wallet on lock. He wins the Mayakoba Classic in November, breaking his streak of four winless seasons with the help of a knowledgeable local caddy nicknamed El Toucan and pockets 1.3 milli in the process. Now, the tour standard going back to Arnie and Jack is to pay your caddy 10% of your earnings on a win. But instead of chipping off El Toucan 130 grand for his services, five grand spills out of Cooch's pocket, and he decides to call it good. Thanks for your help, Toucan. Oh, and then Cooch starts flapping his oversized gums and goes with the making 5,000 is a pretty good week blast. So is the 46 million you've earned in your career, not including endorsements, Matty. This guy is making Pont look like Phil Mickelson peeling off hundies to everybody he sees in the locker room. And then to make matters worse, Cooch's agent, who is also Tiger's agent, calls El Toucan to offer him another ten grand to make the story go away. Toucan then proceeds to tell Steiny to shove up his earth and walks away. Nice. Wore the Toronto Argos signing perennial all-star Poop Johnson to their roster. Poop may have gotten his nickname by hitting the stall five times a day, but I say those are rookie numbers. He needs to pump those numbers up. And if he's in a goal line stand where he needs to crouch down to lower that center of gravity, I'm fine if he has to blow mud on his linebacker to prevent a touchdown. Ah! And that'll be enough, Rex. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Rex, you did a couple of things that are going to make my job a lot more difficult. Number one, you're talking about this guy blowing mud on a linebacker. That's not helping him, Rex. That's hurting him. This email just reads, This could single-handedly ruin Cooch's nice guy rep that makes him so marketable for advertising. Fan favorite to greedy bum in one fell swoop. Joe in Westbrook, Maine. Thanks. You're right, Joe. You're exactly right. I mean, I'm not saying that every single one of his corporate partners is going to see this and say, nope, we're done. We're done. But how do you, this is a really popular guy. How do you hear a story like that and not see this guy differently? I mean, I didn't know this guy was like this. I don't know the guy. I don't know the guy, but I had a perception of the guy. I had an opinion of the guy. And that's not what I expected. I did not, look, I wouldn't expect any of these guys to be like that. Eldrick maybe because he's already got a rep for being one of the cheapest guys ever. But I, I didn't think that Kucher would do something like this. I didn't think of that guy like that. See, and not only did he do it, but when it went down, 
he stuck to his guns. I mean, bad enough to do something like this, but then when it gets out, how do they say, no, you know what? We're digging in. We're digging in. Stick to our guns. We're right. He's wrong. And why was he right and they're wrong? Because, quote, we had a deal. We had a deal. He seemed to be happy about his deal on Sunday. We had a deal. Right. Cooch, you had a deal. And then you went out and you won 1.3 mil. So then the deal changed. Or at least the deal would change. Matthew, if you had a heart and a brain. And also, by the way, bro, it's not like you were racking up wins before this. You can't say this guy had nothing to do with it. You can't say this guy didn't make a difference because you hadn't won in four years. It sure seems like he made a difference. And at the same time, how does somebody in that group, never mind the guy should know this on his own if you have half a brain, but how does somebody not think two things? Let's do the right thing and do right by this guy. And even if you don't want to do the right thing, say you're a bad guy, but you're at least smart. Wouldn't you ask yourself, what if it gets out? What if it gets out, and how bad of a look would that be? You think right now dealing with this, wouldn't 50 grand be a cheap price to pay to make it go away? And remember, 50 grand still isn't even half of what he should have paid him. Not even close. 50 grand is still him getting off. It's him getting over. It's him getting off cheaply. And still 50 grand would have made this whole thing go away. And 50 grand would have been a good price to pay just to get me not to do that take. But still, that's the hill they want to die on. How, how was Kucher or his agent Steinberg or somebody in that group not smart enough to realize that? Forget the karma part of this. Forget the kind of cosmic thing going on, the karma thing. At some point, a move like that, a story like that. See, these guys are clearly about the money. Forget the karma Something like this could end up costing you way more money than you're saving. Have you thought about that? Not only could it come back to bite you in the ass, it could come back to cost you way more money. And apparently that is the thing you care most about. So you lose again. Man, that, that is a weird story. It's just understood. You win, you chip off 10%, and you're happy to do it. And don't come in here and talk to me about, hey, Rome, 10%. I'm in a business where we pay our agents, our managers, our attorneys percentages every month. I'm not going to be like the talent that complains about that, but we chip off a percent every month of our paychecks. I understand. All right. I work in the industry where you lose a lump sum every month. And I'm not talking about Uncle Sam. I'm talking Uncle Sam and then the team. So believe me, I'm in the business of chipping off. I do know. Don't come in and say, hey, Rome, would you give up 10% of your check? Yes. Yes. More than that every month. Yes. I understand. I, I live that life. So don't bring that around here either. What he was asking for, the caddy, was 3.9%. 3.9%. He would have been happy with that. How do you not want to change a guy's life? I mean, wouldn't that be an awesome story? Wouldn't that make Cooch feel great? No, having the money in the pocket made him feel great. I don't know. Hope that was worth it. You made 46 mil in prize money. How much more did he make in endorsements? Money he'll never get to. I mean, my man's got unbelievable corporate partners. Skechers, 
NetJets, Bridgestone, you know, blue chip companies. And he earned it. He earned it. Good player, good guy. But chip off somebody else who did the job who's a lot less fortunate living in a cinder block house. And the 5K, where, where did that money go? To painting the house, buying curtains, and getting his young daughter a plane ticket home for the holidays. And, and not only that, if you're going to make the argument, yeah, well, how important could the guy really have been? After the win, Kucher called him his, quote, lucky charm and did exactly what I needed him to do for the win. Kane Velasquez is my guest. Kane, it's been a minute or two. It's great to have you back on the show. How are you? I'm doing good, Jim. How are you doing? Good, good, Kane. Actually, the reason it's been a minute or two, you and, since you and I have spoken, is it's your first fight in 31 months. So does it feel like it's just another fight, or does it feel different because of that time off? No, it feels like just another fight, you know, just getting uh, back in the swing of things. Um, with the layoff, you know, it's something that I that I needed for, for myself, um, to be closer to my family, to be around the people that I love, and uh, take a little step back from the sport, um, you know. So for for me now, it just feels like another fight. Um, when I got the call to, to fight against Francis, it was just like a no-brainer, you know. It was uh, a guy that's extremely tough. He poses a, a lot of threats with his hands, um, but definitely uh, a, a test that I can that I can you know that that I can beat. And uh, just for the fight being here, also in Phoenix, um, it was a no-brainer for me to to, to fight here and, and say yes to the fight. Cain Velasquez joining us, former UFC heavyweight champion. I want to talk to you about fighting near home, but going back to your other point, Cain, you've been at home for the past two years, raising a family coaching your daughter's soccer team, changing your son's diapers. What was that time like for you and to be around your family and really soak up all that quality time? Yeah, it was great. You know, uh, not too many people get the chance to do something like that, you know. Um, so I just feel really, just, just really blessed that I got the chance to do that, um, to be with my family, uh, to be there for my wife, you know, for her whole pregnancy and also for the whole first year of my, of my child, uh, you know, we have a nine-year-old also, and I wasn't able to do that at the time. You know, I was I was training constantly and, and fighting, um, so I wanted to just be there for, for them. So it was great, you know, um, to, to be at home and, and to do that. And, um, I still got to be in the gym. I still got to help out with, with, you know, D.C. and his camp and anybody else that, you know, that we have at AKA that, that's been fighting. So, um it was, you know, it was it was great. It was a great time off. You know, I wonder, Ken, when you go through something like that and you're with your family and you love what you're doing, was there any part of you that thought, you know what, maybe I don't need to punch guys in the face as a living anymore? Yeah, if, uh, if, if uh, you know, things didn't work out with, with us in the UFC, then yeah, it was definitely a, a thing of, yeah, I, I would go ahead and walk, you know. There is life after fighting. Um for me, I didn't have to, I wouldn't have to do it, you know, if, if if I didn't want to. I had the luxury of, of you know, of wanting to do it. So, um, as long as I'm training, and being competitive in something, then I'm happy with that. Cam Velasquez joining us. He's fighting this weekend. You mentioned DC. Daniel Cormier has said that when you arrived, 
you brought something to the octagon that nobody had ever seen from a heavyweight in terms of your cardio, your striking, the fact that you were just a complete package. So when you step into the cage and you know you've put the work in, how much confidence is there that you can beat anybody on the planet? Yeah, just uh, extremely confident when when you have an opponent and you're able to work the stuff that, that you need to work in, in order to beat him, to, 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 to beat him. Um, and that's... Um, that just goes into the planning. That just goes into the, the game planning of, of it all. Um, so, I mean, I'm just happy that that I get to, I can push the pace if I need to. You know, that's always a big that's always a big thing uh, for me. You know, and being able to uh, to fight against somebody and and feel their energy just kind of like die out. You know, and be able to push the pace on them. That's great. That's something that I've always been able to do, even in wrestling. Um, and that's just you know that's the, the the style of fighting that that I've that I've come to uh, that I've come to have, and um, I'm glad I get to do that. He is the former UFC heavyweight champ, Kane Velasquez. Big fight coming up this weekend. Kane, I know you're thinking about this weekend. I'm going to get there in one second. But if I can get you to go back to 2010 for one second, you went into the cage against Brock Lesnar. At that time, Lesnar was the scariest dude on earth, and you absolutely dominated him to win the heavyweight title. What do you remember about that night and that fight? Yeah, just the uh, the build up to it, you know. That yeah, um at that time Brock seemed kind of like unbeatable. Um he was a huge guy. I mean, just a, just a massive man. Um and, you know, obviously a great wrestler. So, again, having the game plan, um, you know, working with with Daniel Cormier for that fight a lot. Um we knew we had that fight won. We were very confident going in because we knew that with Brock, the only thing that that what was in his favor was, was the wrestling. If he took you down and was able to keep you down, then then you you would be in trouble. So, what we worked on was was me starting flat on my back and having DC on top of me and in, in, in the worst position that I could be in, and just getting up from that over and over again. So when we got to that point when I got taken down from Brock, because we knew it was going to happen that I just, just stood up, you know, just, just like we did in practice. So it worked, um, you know, and that, that just comes with, like, the training that, that we do at AKA, the type of, of athletes that we have there, you know, the, the type of coaches as well. So, um, again, extremely confident going in. You know, when I hear you talk about D.C., and I know your relationship anyway, but I know how much you respect him, and he says, and we know DC, he's currently the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. He says you're a better fighter than he is. What's your reaction when you hear that? Man, it's just, you know, um, I'm just proud. I'm just proud that, 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 that DC would say something like that, you know. Um, just seeing what he's done in the sport and, um, you know, how, how much of a competitive guy he is. It's it's awesome, you know, for me to see that on the outside and also to help him in his career and him to help me in my career. Um, it's, just, it's just something special that we have, you know, as far as training partners go. Um, so for him to say something like that, I'm just truly honored for him to say something like that, um, you know, because when I train with him, it's like, I'm not the best fighter all the time, you know. It's it's pretty it's pretty even a lot of the times. Um, but that's what makes us better, man. We just push to try to win, and I'm always I'm always pushing to try to win, just even in practice, you know. We're just we're just too competitive 
guys that love what we do. Kim Velazquez joining us for a few more moments. So you're in fight week right now. When you look at Francis, what concerns you the most about him? Francis, man, his, uh, his, his punching power, you know, he, he, he's the most devastating, you know, puncher in, in, in uh, the heavyweight division, probably in the whole UFC. Um, a huge amount of, huge amounts of power in his hands, very dangerous. Um, but he also has, he also has weaknesses just like anybody else, you know, and I feel very confident going into this fight that I can go toe to toe with him and also, you know, expose what, what, what he's weak at. Now you're an Arizona state legend. Any idea, Kane, what it's going to feel like to walk into that cage in Phoenix on Saturday night? Oh, it's going to be crazy. I just feel like it's going to be super loud, crazy. People are going to be going nuts, being just super excited for, for this fight. Um, me as well. You know, um, I can't wait to go out there, um, show the people what, what, what they've been missing. And, uh, yeah, man, just go out and go out with the win tonight, uh, Sunday. Okay, I was going to say, what about that? I mean, you've had some huge, huge wins over the course of your career, but knowing what the last two and a half years have been like for you, how much would it mean to you to win this weekend? Just this is why this is why I do this, you know, um, to go out and win. Um, I'm, I'm extremely prepared for this fight. Um, yeah, man, I just have to go out there and, and, and do it on that night on Sunday. Um, but this is this is what I do, you know. I go out there and fight. Um, I'm very prepared. So, so for me to go out and win here in, in Phoenix, it's just it's just amazing, you know. Like that's that that's just what I want to do. I want to fight in front of my family and friends. I've competed here my whole life. This is my home state. Um, we don't lose at home. If you've got money in the market, you need to check out my friends at Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to 10 bucks for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. And there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started so you can start investing at any level at all. This simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. And with Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. And if you're listening to this podcast, Robinhood is giving you a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. You just have to sign up at jimrome.robinhood.com. That's jimrome.robinhood.com. This email reads, hey, Jim, Matt Kuchar's caddy did not receive a return that was commensurate with his investment of time and resources. Yours, Geisha House, Hollywood. True in West L.A. See, that's just... That's dirty, Drew, but I'll own it. Hey, Drew, if you're going to crack me for my investments, especially my restaurant investments, at least get them right. Geisha was the only one that threw a check. That was the worst part, man. Geisha threw a check, and I was so excited that I could not wait to give that group all sorts of my money for other restaurants because I loved it. And, of course, none of the other ones threw checks. Ketchup did for a little bit. Ketchup in Hollywood. But none of the other geishas, no, nothing else. And last I checked, although I was not a part of it, 
See, another example why I'm okay to talk about this. I was not a part of it. There was a big lawsuit where investors were trying to get their money back. I'm like, I went in with my eyes wide open. I knew it was a risky investment. I didn't try to get my money back. I just like going to Geisha and getting a good table and getting some checks. You know what my favorite part about that whole thing was? So Janet and I go to Geisha one night, roll up, feeling pretty good about myself, a little bit younger. You know, what kind of car I drove back then might have mattered to me. Drop it off with the valet. And I'm walking around like I'm important, like, hey, yo, I'm an investor. Hey, yo, I'm an investor in this restaurant. You want to know how important I was? I was so important that when they brought my car back, this dude, you're going to like this, Rex. Rex in the ABQ, you'll like this take. This guy brings me my car back and just lets out, like, leaves unbelievable flatulence in my car for me. I'm an investor in the restaurant. I'm like, bro, did you just dump in my car? I mean, that's horrible. Crop dusted my sled. And I don't think you can tell me the guy didn't know who I was. Because I was the all-important investor. Hey, Drew, why don't you work that into that take next time? Homeboy crop dusted my luxury sled. As a, I was probably technically, honestly, honestly, when we say, quote, investor, I'll bet you I owned... Matt Kuchar would like this number. Maybe one half of 1% of the restaurant. Maybe I owned 1% of the restaurant. Probably not even Probably not even 1% of the restaurant. I think I owned a half a percent of Geish House with my investment. And for that, what do I have to show? Some valet bro crop dusting my luxury sled. Windows up, heat on. Guarantee it, man. When I, went, I left, Janet and I were like crying and throwing up in the car. This guy was probably back with his bros. And, and you know, you know I tipped him out huge because the last thing I want are valets talking about me the way I'm talking about Kucher and Scott Pippen. So you know I tipped him out. I tipped him out only to find out he turned the heat on, the heated seats, left the windows up, and crop dusted the car. And because I was a, quote, investor, I know. I don't remember exactly what I gave him, but I know I hooked the kid up. I just know it. Because I was the investor. I wanted those guys to be like, hey, Rome's in the house. Rome's a good dude. Rome's one of the cool investors. Let's crop dust his car. Man, and how hard do you think that guy laughed? He and the other pros were probably like, dude, we did him so dirty. <laughs> I guarantee that bro not only said, dude, not only did I do him dirty, dude, he chipped me off 100 bucks. Eddie Olchek is my guest. Eddie, it's so good to have you back. How are you? Hey, what's up, pal? How you doing, Jim? Good, good. Ed, how about you? How are things? Um, Doing, doing well, man. Feeling good and uh, getting into the stretch run of the uh, playoffs in the National Hockey League. You know, people, uh, teams jockeying for position, lots of, uh, lots of jockeying going on. And uh, if I can use the word jockeying, lots of jockeying going on. I love it. How's it going to be in the first Saturday? It may come, uh, come Churchill Downs for the Kentucky Derby. I see you working, Ed. I love it. Eddie Olchek, my guest. All right, so in terms of teams jockeying, you just got back from Pittsburgh where the Penguins beat Edmonton 3-1 last night in a game where Matt Murray had 38 saves, including a penalty shot from Connor McDavid. That came after he had a career-high 50 saves against the Flyers on Monday. When you're facing a goalie that locked in, how do you go about beating a guy like that? How tough is it? Well, I mean, goaltenders do have that ability, Jim, as you know, is to get into not only goal scorers heads but uh, shooters uh, as well and sometimes you try to be a little bit too fine when a goaltender is in that zone and I think sometimes you have to have the 
internal clock where you just sit there and, okay, well, yeah, I want to shoot it now, but I'm going to pause here. I'm going to, you know, instead of going one, 1,000, two, 1,000, maybe you got to hold on to it a split second longer just to try to play that game of so-called chicken and kind uh, of break, you know, break that concentration. And right now Matt Murray is seeing it. Now I will say this, that game against Philadelphia, the Flyers didn't get inside as much as probably that they would have liked. I mean, there were some rebounds to be had. I think there were some rebounds to be had last night uh, in Pittsburgh with that uh, win over the Oilers, as you had mentioned. But, um, you know, that was a huge, obviously a huge stop on Connor McDavid. And, you know, I think when you when you look at the replay of that penalty shot saved by Matt Murray on Connor McDavid, Jim, it was, you know, it was kind of a, a change of pace type of play where he came in, had a little bit of speed, then he slowed down and he kind of moved laterally. And I think he was waiting for Murray to drop that glove. And he did. Uh, unfortunately for Connor McDavid, he just wasn't able to go bar down because uh, that's one area. I think if you saw the scouting report on Matt Murray, it would be glove hand side, top shelf. And uh, Connor McDavid just wasn't able to execute. But Matt Murray seems to have found his game. And that's good news for the Penguins who are, battling for a playoff position, and uh, right now they hold that second wild card in Eastern Conference. That is true. Eddie Orchek is my guest. They're 1-3-1 and one in their last five, and they were without Evgeny Malkin, where they went into that game 1-3-1. and one. Eddie, what about Edmonton? Now, there's six points back of Minnesota for the final wild card spot. If they miss the playoffs for the third time in Connor McDavid's career, how disappointing would that be? Well, I mean, obviously it would be disappointed, Jim, but look, I mean, the reality is, is that Probably the Edmonton Oilers are what they are. I mean, everybody goes back to a couple of years ago where, remember that crazy finish against Anaheim in the in the semifinals in the Western Conference where they, you know, Anaheim I think scored three goals in the last couple of minutes of the game and eventually went to Edmonton and won the series. And Edmonton was, you know, I mean, like minutes away from going to the conference finals last year. Uh, they underachieved, so they're probably right where they should be. I mean, besides Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl up front, and then you got Clefbaum and Nurse on the back end, uh, you know, it's going to be a battle for them. I mean, they don't have a lot of secondary scoring. I mean, they don't have a lot of depth on the back end, and the goaltending certainly has been, you know, has been up and down. I mean, Cam Talbot a couple of years ago when I talked about that that playoff run that they had. I mean, he was, I mean, he was very few blemishes all season, including the playoffs. So it'll be really interesting to see what they do. I mean, it's been a lot of change in Edmonton, uh, change of coach, change of general manager. If they continue this slide here, I can think now what they're eight of nine they've lost. You get to the trade deadline in less than two weeks. Uh, you got to think that uh, there'll probably be a few guys heading out, and they'll just be preparing for next season. But certainly disappointing when you have one of the best players that we've had come into the game in a long, long time uh, being on the outside looking in when it comes playoff hockey. Because you know Connor McDavid is that type of guy to be able to take his game to another level. We're talking to Eddie Olchek now. Eddie, I had Lightning head coach John Cooper on the show. That's a conversation that I had never had, but I've been looking forward to for a long time. He did not disappoint. What do you make of him? Because you know, he, he did not play in that league, and he's coaching at a high yeah. level. You played in the league a long time, and you coached in that league. What do you make of him personally and the job he's doing? Well, full disclosure, I've known Coop for a long, long time. I saw him when he was uh, going through the, uh, the grinds of a young coach uh, in the United States Hockey League, where my oldest boys were playing at the time, and he was the head coach of the Green Bay Gamblers in the United right. States Hockey League. So I've seen Coop 
go from a, a junior coach in, in coaching teenagers uh, aspiring to go to college hockey and then eventually to the National Hockey League. And uh, he, he's done a, he's done an incredible job. I mean, he's paid his dues. He had great success in the American Hockey League, one level below the National League. And, you know, he's got a hell of a team to work with. There's no doubt about it. And, look, that's that's not easy. I mean, it is not easy to be able to uh, to have the success that they've had. Now, look, they're still, you know, they will take that next step. I mean, they lost to Chicago in the finals a couple of years ago. But I think that the one thing that I think John Cooper does extremely well, Jim, is, is I think he has a feel in the game to be able to make those adjustments and have a feel of who's going, who's not, and not afraid to go to those guys, whether their name is uh, Stamkos or Kucherov or to go to guys like Palat or Point. Um, he has lots of weapons there. There's no doubt he's, he's always had very good goaltending, which certainly helps because, as you know, goaltending camouflages a few deficiencies if you have them. And when you get consistent goaltending, you've got a chance to win every night. But I, I think Coop has done an uh, outstanding job there in Tampa. And, you know, look, I, I think – People are looking at Tampa now. Yes, they were to the finals a couple of years ago against Chicago, as I mentioned. But, like, you know, okay, the the team that they have assembled, the moves that they have, the goaltending, the depth that they have, okay, it's, you know, it's time. Like, it's time for them to go ahead and hoist that Stanley Cup. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me because certainly, obviously, by what it says, uh, you know, statistic-wise, is, uh, you know, they're probably the favorite to win it all this year, but uh, Coop deserves a lot of credit. He's done a, he's done an incredible job there, and uh, we'll see if they can uh, if they can make a run. Because remember, last year now they had Washington on the ropes, and uh, I think Washington pushed them around, and uh, that ended up being the difference uh, in that series. And eventually, uh, the rest is history with uh, with Ovechkin and the Capitals winning the first Stanley Cup. That's it, Eddie Olchek joining us, NHL and horse racing analyst from NBC Sports. Yeah, Eddie, you and I have talked about your battle with cancer. Last year, you received the Ace Bailey Ace Bailey Award of Courage at the NHL Alumni Awards. It's an honor which is given to, quote, a recipient who has shown exceptional courage and exemplary determination in life. What did it mean for you to receive that? What was that night like for you? Well, it was very special and humbling, uh, Jim. Uh, for people that may not know, Ace Bailey was a longtime National Hockey League player. Uh, a, uh, a great ambassador for our game and uh, and sadly was on a, a plane on 9-11 when he was working for the LA Kings in a scouting position and uh, the plane was taken down by those terrorists and uh, to, to, to have my name alongside the late uh, Ace Bailey and uh, considering personally what I had gone through uh, certainly very honoring and humbling and uh, I, as we talked last year a couple of times Jim both on the air and off uh, you know my I think my purpose in life now is to uh, to inspire one person to either help them deal with what they're going through, not necessarily cancer, but any battle that they may be in, or to help somebody uh, stay away from it, uh, to get pre-screened, to make sure that they're raising their hand and saying, you know what, I need to go see a doctor, or it's about time that I go get a checkup. And uh, I kind of feel like that's my purpose in life, my wife Diana of 30 years, uh, we're, we're, we're very much engaged in the community and, and just trying to tell my story without being overbearing. But to get that award uh, amongst uh, so many great, uh, so many great people in our game, very fortunate and thankful from the NHL alumni 
the head of the NHL alumni, uh, Glenn Healy, former teammate of mine and a uh, member of the 1994 Stanley Cup champion New York Rangers. We were together, and it's hard to believe we just had our 25-year reunion in New York this last week, Jim, which I don't know where in the hell 25 years has gone, but it was great to see a lot of familiar faces. And uh, but just very proud and, and honored to have received that award in the in the uh, in the late honor of uh, East Bailey. Eddie, what was that like? I mean, winning that Stanley Cup was something that was unparalleled. What was it like 25 years later when the guys get back together and was everybody there for it? Yeah, I mean, everybody was there. Unfortunately, we lost one member of our team, right. Alexander Karpatsev. I remember a few years sure. ago with that horrible plane crash over in Russia. Patsy was a member of that team, and uh, we lost him, but his his wife and his daughter were there representing him. But everybody else was there, uh, players, trainers, coaches, and uh, it was emotional. I mean, it really was. Uh, you know, I think there's that hard to believe where all the time goes and, and, and you see the years grow on guys and you talk about the battle that you had of being able to, to win the first Stanley Cup in New York for the Rangers in 54 years, hadn't won since 1940 and you know just to be with the guys and, and, uh, and reminisce and, and look I mean there, there's a there's a sense of I don't want to use the word you know sadness but I mean it's like you know this might be the only time that you know like we get together now like moving forward like 25 years is 25 years like are, are we going to be able to be the i hope all of us are together in, in 25 years from now and celebrate 50 years but you know the reality is is that you know life goes on and and things are going to happen so i think there was that you know that's why i think it was very emotional and just the rangers organization did an amazing job and uh, it was just it was so well run and Hopefully the Ranger fans enjoy themselves. They were able to be there at the Garden this last Friday or to be able to watch it on television because it was uh, it meant a lot to us. And uh, there aren't many times that I end up in, in New York City, Jim, where I get at least you know one or two Ranger fans a trip when I'm in there where they, uh, you know, they just thank me and thank our team for uh, for winning the Stanley Cup back 25 years ago, and that certainly means a lot. God, that's got to feel so great, Ed. That has to be such an awesome thing to come into that town and get that. But, God, you're so right. Eddie Ochek, my guest, where does the time go? Like, for instance, remember when you were in Los Angeles and there was some overlap. You played with the Kings and a buddy yep. of ours, a buddy of mine down the street, Craig Johnson, and there was one year yep. when you guys were both on the team, and you mentioned your kids. You know, Craig is a really good youth coach right now, and he works with mm-hmm. a number of NHL teams. He's got a son named Ryan who is internationally – he's a really good junior player. But, like, our kids mm-hmm. played down the street together, Ed. They were like – these kids were like eight <laughs> years old together. And, like, where does the time go? It's amazing. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and I think, again, you know, I've been asked this question, especially with what's gone on here, Jim, with, with me personally, with that battling stage three colon cancer. And it's hard to believe coming up on uh, a week from today, I will have stopped my, uh, I will stop my last treatment uh, with my chemotherapy uh, on February 21st at 9.02 a.m. Central Time when I got un- unhooked for the last time that you know, people ask me, like, do I look at things differently after having battled what I did? And, you know, and, and, and I say honestly, and, and we touched on this last year, Jim, when you had me on your show, and, and I, I really, when I was in the battle, I, I, I really didn't because I think I was at such peace with myself, uh, the most important people in my life, my wife and my kids and in my immediate family and the people that have had a huge impact on my life knew how I felt about them. Cause I've always, I was brought up in a way. And, and I think I just learned this over my life is that 
like tomorrow is not given. Like tomorrow is not promised. And I've always wanted to make sure the people that mean the most to me know that. And I think that that's why I was able to battle like I did going through it. Look, was I scared? Absolutely. I, I didn't want to leave this earth way early, you know, and, and, but the thing I think that kept me going was, is that the people most important to me knew how I felt about them. So I think, look, whatever was in the cards, I was at peace. And I think that that helped me get through. And I look at my life and go, you know, yeah, I, I'd go back 10 years, 15 years with my kids. I, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't treat them any differently. I wouldn't give them anything more or less. It was just the time. And, and that's why I think for me going through what I did, I think that's what helped me a bit get through the toughest time of my life is that, you know, I had some peace in my life and the most important people in my life knew how I felt about them and, and whatever happened, happened with that horrible disease and lucky enough to be on the right side of the sod uh, uh, a year later. God, it's so powerful. It's such a powerful message, and I'm so glad, Eddie, that you can come on the program and share it like that. So finally then, as you point out, this is what the mission is. If there is somebody listening, and I know there is, of course there is, who's dealing with something similar to what you dealt with, or even to your point, if it's not that, but it's something really challenging, something really threatening or something very scary, what is the message? How do they get up and go to battle every day to get through it? I think it came from my wife, Jim. When I was going through the first couple of treatments of chemotherapy, because I would take chemo every two weeks for 48 hours, I would take it for four hours at the hospital, and then they would send me home uh, with a fanny pack, and I would have it, my chemo, a different type of chemo drip for 48 hours, and they would kind of come and unhook me. And everybody that's been around it knows that there are side effects when you take chemo. And for me, there was a time where a couple of treatments in where, Jim, I, I was done. I could not li live with the side effects where it just it consumed me. Uh, it was, it was bad headaches. It was nosebleeds, uh, developed a blood clot, uh, vomiting, uh, you can't control your bathroom issues. And you sit there and go, how in the hell can I live like this? Like it, it, it's, it's just, it's not right. And, and look, I'm not embarrassed to say this because I think it's important for people to hear it. I mean, I wanted to quit. Like I wanted to bail because I wasn't, I, I just, I couldn't deal with everything that came with the disease. And my wife grabbed me by the short hairs and looked at me and said, fight for me, fight for our kids, and fight for all the people that love you. Be an example for people that look up to you and need you. And you have a moment, you're emotional, and okay, okay, how am I going to get through this? So you take a deep breath and you go, okay, it is, really. Because you hear coaches say it all the time, Jim, right? Yeah, well, this player's day-to-day. -day. Well, in the big picture, aren't we all really, like, in the big picture? Like, we're all day-to-day. -day. There's nothing promised for tomorrow. And I think what I did was, is, okay, I'm just going to battle this thing. I'm going to fight. I'm going to do everything in my power. And uh, I'm going to ask questions. Uh, I'm going to raise my hand when I need help. Uh, but I'm going to battle this thing hour-to-hour, day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. And then hopefully, in six months, they're going to tell me, okay, you're clean, you're clear. Or I didn't know what was on the other side. And I was like, look, maybe I have to go another. And look, I know this, Jim, there are a lot, lot of people that, are, that were and are way worse off than Eddie Olchek ever was. And I pray for those people, but I want those people to know that we're thinking about them. Uh, we need to make sure that we're reaching out and 
the understanding of how important the caretakers and caregivers are for the people that are helping the people that are in the battle because they may not going through a physical gym, but they are going through things mentally. So we have to make sure we're taking care of the caregivers and caretakers that are helping people along. So I would just, I would encourage people to fight, believe, and, uh, and live day to day because, uh, as I said earlier, uh, tomorrow is not promised. Eddie, I'm so glad you shared that. I've done this a long time. That's one of the most amazing things I've ever heard. I want to let you go, but I have to ask about Diana. Like, how, how is she like that? You want to talk fierce. You want to talk tough. You want to talk about how you wanted to give up. I would imagine those around you probably it was so hard for them to see somebody as proud, as strong as you, dealing with what you were dealing with. Why was she able to stay in the fight that way? What, where did she get that from? Well, I got really lucky, Jim. Because uh, Diana was the rock, uh, my wife of 30 years, uh, this past August. And like I said, I never saw her down. I never saw her weak. I never saw her worried. But I know uh, when she was away from me, I'm sure. And I know that she had her moments like, what is going to happen to him? Like, is he going to be around? Uh, our oldest son got married this last summer, and you know I'm sure my wife wondered. Like, I look, I wondered. Like, am, you know, am I going to be around for, for for my son and and my my daughter-in-law's wedding? And I think my wife understood how important it was not only for me and for herself, but you know also for our four kids. You know, because I was I was at my weakest. Uh, because of the medicine and, and, and it just consuming me and taking, taking everything over. But I think uh, we certainly know, uh, you know, as I said earlier, the importance of the caretakers and caregivers not going through it physically, but certainly mentally. And uh, be forever grateful for all the support I got. And not only just from my wife and my family and my friends, but uh, people like yourself, Jim, who checked in and you know, the hockey community, the horse racing community, and the people that I know, and I still get notes and cards and, and people with well wishes. And, and like I said, uh, my goal now is to help one person uh, either stay away from it, help them deal with it, or be an inspiration and say, hey, look, if that old retired hockey player and broken down horse player can do it, you know what, I can do it too. And uh, that would be, uh, you know, that, that hopefully that'll be the greatest feather in my cap when I'm long gone is that uh, somebody was inspired by my story. Good night now! We've got all the news right here. I'm going to stop you right there. I see you about to settle on a day-old donut for breakfast. Well, this is a chick intervention. Cosmic Chicken Biscuits and Chicken McGriddles are now at McDonald's. So just hit that drive through and change your life. For breakfast, you got this. Wake up breakfast. Say good morning to McChicken for breakfast. Right now at your local McDonald's, you can mix and match two Chicken McGriddles or McChicken Biscuits for just $3. Price and participation may vary at participating McDonald's for a limited time.